Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, all. I'm so happy you could all join us here today. I am Stephen Riga. I'm an attorney in our Indianapolis office, and I'd like to introduce Andre uh, Apple, uh, counsel in the Berlin office. Hi. So today we're going to talk about cybersecurity in the remote workplace, and we're going to explore some issues related to uh, essentially what information uh, remote employees handle, how to protect electronic information, and talk about some of the legal obligations to protect that information that uh, employees and employers have in that process. So I'm going to hand it over now to Andre to talk about the remote workspace and get you started with a, a rough idea of what we're dealing with in conjunction with how uh, remote work and cybersecurity interact. Okay, thank you, Stephen. So there are two possibilities to work remotely, basically. Um, the first one is a real work from home. So the employee is required to perform his or her work in uh, his uh, premises at home. And uh, there is potentially less risk for cyber attacks or data breaches. And the other thing is real remote work. It is called mobile work in, uh, in Europe. Uh, in that case, the employer does not require the employee to work from a specific location. And uh, basically, the employee is uh, free to work uh, wherever he or she wants, for example, in the cafe, in the transportation, or uh, also at home. And in that case, there is potentially a higher risk for cyber attacks and data breaches, uh, for example, due to insecure uh, connections, Wi-Fi hotspots, uh, things like that, or also unwanted looks on the screen um, from the person sitting next uh, to the employee working in the cafe. And uh, additionally, there are two layers of information. Um, we are talking about um, personal information. That's the first layer. Uh, for example, personal information of employees and of uh, customers. Uh, this information is especially protected by data protection laws, such as uh, the GDPR, for example, in, in uh, Europe, or uh, the uh, data protection regulations in the US, for example. And the other layer is business information. Uh, such type of information is especially protected by competition laws. Uh, but in most cases, business information also contains personal information as well. Employee roles ch uh, change the legal obligations. So uh, basically you can say the higher the risk, the higher the protection standards must be. That, that's not a revolution, but um, that should be clear if uh, you handle uh, uh, especially protected uh, data, sensitive data, for example, uh, the higher the standards, 
must be. The more personal information is processed, the better it is to require the employees to work in a protected area, for example, from home, uh, where uh, you, the employee does not have to, uh, to fear unwanted looks and uh, can also use a more or less secure line. It's always better to use the own internet line from home than to use um, open um, Wi-Fi hotspots or something like that, uh, for example, in a cafe or uh, on the street. If HR persons working remotely, for example, they are proce pro processing uh, um, most of the time sensitive information and such type of sensitive data requires a safe setting, for example, work from home uh, is always preferable for this group of employees and also a secure uh, VPN um, connection. So that's from my side. And I think, uh, Stephen, we can now start the legal summary with the United States. So in the United States, the law really is governed based on the class of information that is being protected. The basic law is that certain classes of information are due protection because of their sensitive nature. So whether we're talking about personally identifiable information, medical information, or financial information, certain laws, whether it's HIPAA or the ADA or Graham uh, Leach-Bliley that set out specific requirements, there are certain rules that are imposed when you handle certain classes of information. So in the United States, the reality is you have to understand the specific information that your remote worker is handling in conjunction with your activity to make sure that you address the legal obligation to secure the information in a way that is consistent with the legal obligation that is imposed on that class of information. Certainly, there are other situations in which you may be dealing with information that it must be kept confidential or secure for a variety of reasons. And the law can be imposed in this context. It can be a contractual obligation that imposes on you obligations to keep the information confidential, or it could be a situation in which you have a contract that requires, in conjunction with services you're providing another organization, that the information that is being handled in conjunction with that is kept secure with reasonable safeguards to protect that information. So again, it is necessary for you to understand the specific legal framework in which you have obligations to protect the information in order to understand exactly what threshold level of protection you need to put in place. And then you need to look at exactly what would meet the criteria set out. So in certain circumstances, a contract might say that you need to create reasonable safeguards to protect the security of the information and not go any further. And in that situation, you've got considerable flexibility to say, establish a set of protocols that works with the specific information and looks at the risk that's involved in conjunction with this information. But there isn't any specific framework that you have to establish or use. It may simplify the process, but it nevertheless is going to be something where you have 
that flexibility to make a choice as to the specifics of how you do it. In other circumstances, contracts may be very specific and may require that you use NIST protocols or other protocols spelled out in the contract that you then have to reference those protocols to determine what your security obligations are as you address the options in conjunction with this. When you look at that, that's going to be a situation where that is going to be applicable to the handling of the information in general. So, of course, in an organization, you will have generally thought through during your standard operations how to address those security obligations related to the information. What throws a wrinkle here is that if you're dealing with remote work, you need to build a system of remote work that produces the same level of safeguards that you're legally obligated to achieve in the workplace. It has to be extended then into either the employee's home or more broadly to wherever the employee is sitting at that particular moment that can get incredibly complicated depending on the specific requirements that are being imposed upon you. So first you have to understand the specific context and conditions based on the type of information you're handling. And then you have to look at what are the legal requirements based on that information, whether they be imposed by statute, by regulation, or contract. And together, build a protocol for handling of information in a remote work context that addresses those obligations. Now I'm going to hand it back to Andre to talk about legal issues and legal approaches in conjunction with Europe. So thank you, Stephen. I see that it is quite comprehensive in the United States. And uh, let me say that in uh, Europe, it is a little bit uh, simpler than in the United States because of the GDPR. So as the relevant basis for data protection law uh, in, in, in Europe, in the entire European Union, Article 5 of the GDPR stipulates that data must be processed in such a way that it is protected against unauthorized use, falsification or loss. This must be done by means of suitable technical and organizational measures. This is particularly the case if the employee who is in the home office or works remotely comes into contact with data from the following categories. First category is normal personal data. What is that normal personal data? Um, that is all or any data which identifies or makes identifiable a natural person. So almost Every data the employer collects from uh, employees or from customers is such personal data. Then we have special categories of uh, personal data according to artic Article 9, the uh, GDPR, uh, and uh, this is called special or sensitive data, and it is data relating to ethnic origin, political opinion, religion or belief. The data about a trade union membership uh, in the employment context is also a sensitive data, genetic or biometric data, health data, and uh, the data about the sexual orientation of a natural person. This is uh, data, all these uh, categories of data are especially protected by uh, GDPR. Switzerland and UK have both implemented an equivalent level of protection through their respective national legislation, and this 
was ensured by corresponding EU adequacy decisions. So if no matter if we are in Switzerland, in UK or in the European Union, the uh, level of protection is more or less the same. The principle from, from Article 5 GDPR is concretized by Article 32 GDPR, among others. This obliges data controllers, which is the employer in our context, as defined in Article 4, Number 7 GDPR, to take appropriate protective measures, taking into account, among others, the technical state of art, the risk of data misuse and the purpose of processing the data, but also the related implementation costs. Special rules apply in the case of the transfer of uh, data to third countries. Third countries is any country which is not part of the European Union, the European Economic Area, uh, which includes Iceland, for example, on top of the European Union. That's the economic, uh, European Economic Area. There, if data is transferred to such third countries, special rules will apply. On top of that, in Germany, the German Federal Data Protection Act, Bundesdatenschutzgesetz called, uh, applies, which concretizes and expands the provisions of the GDPR, especially in the employment context, and makes a special rules uh, or special rules on data protection in the context of employment relationship in uh, section 26 of the German Federal Data Protection Act. What the appropriate technical and organizational protective measures must look like in concrete terms is not regulated by law. Nevertheless, there are recommendations from private actors and government agencies, such as the data protection officers of the German states. All 16 German states have uh, their own data protection officer. Um, the German Federal Office for Information Security and also the U European Union Agency for Cybersecurity. These include in particular the recommendation for employers not to allow employee-owned devices to be used at work, which is called bring your own device. It's a little bit difficult in, in, in Europe, but uh, it is always better to, to recommend employ uh, employers to provide uh, own devices to the employees. These devices should be subject to regular maintenance, especially security updates must be obligatory. And in addition, a VPN tunnel from the, the place of work and uh, the, uh, the server should be used in any case. On top of that, organizational me measures, for example, such as a, a, a visibly protected uh, screen, if the employee is working uh, not from home, but for example from the transportation, is also recommendable. So that's the uh, legal summary for EU, UK and Switzerland. And uh, Stephen, what does the law require from uh, US standards? Yeah, so in the US, um, you know, as I indicated uh, earlier, I think the the baseline reality is when it comes to security, you need to establish reasonable measures. But what that looks like varies depending on what law you're dealing with or what contractual provision you're dealing with. As a practical reality, these are going to be broken down into you know administrative measures that control, you know, for example, access controls. Uh, that establish the ability of an individual to reach and access information, 
There are going to be physical controls like that screen that protects against an individual sitting next to you from reading the screen that when you're working in an environment where there are other people around you, or there's also the whole technical set of safeguards, things like encryption that protect information using technical means to ensure that information cannot be inadvertently or intentionally reviewed, used, stolen, or damaged or destroyed. And so different populations of remote workers and different populations and different natures of remote work are going to result in different needs that should be tailored to the specific context that you're working in. So there are certainly going to be situations in which end-to-end encryption, basically, and control using things like VPN connections and, and protection of the information through those kinds of technical techniques are necessary and a part of the whole process. There are going to also be other situations in which there may be other ways in which security can be achieved, depending on the nature of the uh, information that is being handled without you know, full, robust, complete security procedures. You know, in, in other words, it can be more informal if the nature of the context allows for it based on the obligations that you have. It's not always practical in order to uh, achieve uh, security that you would impose the greatest, highest levels of security on information when you're collecting some very basic information. What you have to understand and what you have to review is context because the context will tell you the nature through by determining what type of information is being handled and the sensitivity of that information um, will determine whether what type of security uh, protocols are justified and reasonable and worth the cost of in, in introducing those uh, in, in, in ensuring that the information handled is, is not going to be unintentionally or um, through negligence uh, exposed to, to risks that, that are unreasonable in, in their nature. So, Andre, can you talk then a little bit about what the context is in the remote work environment? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, for the moment, uh, the European country is uh, hit by the COVID outbreak very hard. And in a lot of European countries, uh, the uh, governments uh, require employees um, to work remotely or work from home as far as possible. So uh, if the, uh, the workplace is suitable for remote work, most employees are required to work from home instead of going into the office. So we can say that for the moment, all kinds of employees are working uh, remotely or um, more or less are working from home and they are processing all kinds of data including sensitive personal data and outside of that remote context or outside of the of the covid related context we have to say that employers must be much more sensitive on uh, how uh, these data are treated by the employees at home. 
for the moment, uh, the employers don't have a choice. They must, as far as possible, give the employees the, the possibility to work from home. But at the time COVID is gone, I think we have to reconsider uh, pro protective measures um, for the employment context because for the moment uh, we don't mind if the employer has a room for on its on his own or on her own to work from home or not um, but i think uh, we should reconsider that and uh, covid gone we should uh, concentrate on on how to protect personal data in the remote working context more than we do for the moment that point is an excellent one for the US as well, although it isn't necessarily driven by mandates uh, as it is in Europe. The reality is practical, reasonable efforts need to be implemented uh, to make sure that information is kept secure, certainly to the extent that you have either a legal or a contractual obligation uh, to do so. But in this particular context, reasonable safeguards for the information involved includes reasonable safeguards based on the unique and extraordinary circumstance that we currently face. And the, that unique circumstance means there's a lot more activity going on remotely than might have been going on previous to the outbreak of the pandemic. I think for U.S. companies, the real question that they need to delve into is just exactly what they're doing in conjunction with the process that they're using to protect the information. How are they establishing the security protocols that ensure that the information is adequately protected, even though you're working in a remote environment? Now, that includes in, in the U.S. asking the question, are we really dealing with hardware that is provided by the company or is this personal hardware that the, the company is allowing employees to use their personal hardware to do their remote work? Obviously, as Andre pointed out, the, and you know that is a different uh, question in Europe where there are restrictions on, on the use of personal equipment for that purpose. But here in the United States, that is a question that you have to answer. And if the answer is you're allowing individuals to use personal equipment, you have to answer, go to the next question, which is what are you going to do to ensure that that information that they're handling in conjunction with the, their remote work is being adequately protected? This can be accomplished through a number of different methods. It can be accomplished through software controls, access controls, VPN controls, but you're going to have to establish a set of procedures for an individual using individual equipment. Similarly, even if they are using company equipment, there's going to need to be a process involved in making sure that the way that they're using that equipment doesn't produce situations where information is inappropriately or inadvertently exposed to risks of theft or destruction in conjunction with the work that they're doing. So even in those situations, you have to have a set of processes. And really, it, it, it is a process-based question that, that employers in the U.S. really need to get to ground on 
What processes are they going to use to make sure that they're going to protect that information? What controls are they going to put in place that mean only the people who need to get access to that information are going to get access to that information? And only the people who need to have the ability to modify and write to that information can modify and write to that information. And that means that they're going to need to sit down and think through the entire information flow for their organization as it relates to remote work and think about who's doing what so that they can make sure that the information that there is being handled is being reasonably protected. Dear listeners, this was a quick overview across continents on cybersecurity in the remote working environment and the related legal framework for it. This topic will certainly be far for eternity because even if we all hope that we will not be forced to work remotely for much longer due to COVID, this will uh, continue to shape our working environment also in the future for foreseeable time. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.